Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. you referred to that uh, turned uh, uh, jury nullification into a more or less of a secret. Is that provincial or federal? That's uh, federal. That's a Supreme Court uh, statement. It was actually it was part of the Supreme Court decision on, on abortion and where it decriminalized abortion. And that was the main, the main ruling at the 1988 Supreme Court ruling. But once in a while, <coughs> the judge particularly a Supreme Court judge, will make an aside that's not part of the ruling, just something that bothers him that he wants to make a statement about. So those of us who are politically involved uh, would want to agitate at a federal level um, to change that? Yeah, it would have to be changed federally, yep. yeah. Uh, sec- <coughs> secondly, uh, um, you describe uh, uh, jury nullification in very positive terms around Morgenthaler and Latimer, uh, yeah. two stories with which many of us would have sympathy. Uh, but what are the safeguards against a jury, you know, a rogue jury for want of a better term? I can imagine in cases of uh, oh, terrorist acts, for example, in which you might find a jury that was very sympathetic to the cause uh, of, the, uh, of the criminal act and, and might be inclined to, you know, you can imagine yeah. scenarios in which the jury um, uh, uh, yeah, would set a criminal free in which most of us would not have sympathy. What are the safeguards? Well, safeguards are, for one thing, there's 12 people on the jury, and they have to be unanimous in coming to a not, not guilty verdict. But it is possible <coughs> that such an abuse could happen, and has happened in the past. <coughs> Interesting, you mentioned terrorism. There was a case in Britain a few years ago where uh, a couple of very hapless um, operatives, they were young and uh, foolish and uh, uh, men opposed to the Iraqi war, which most Britons were, you know, didn't have much support in Britain. So they uh, took it upon themselves to <clears throat> uh, break into one of the airports where the American bombers were sitting waiting to uh, to be uh, released the next morning, and they were about to cause damage to the bombers, but they were apprehended beforehand. <coughs> the jury in their trial refused uh, to find them guilty, I think partly because they were obviously inept and hapless. I describe them as more like Clouseau than Bond. Um, and, and they were found not guilty. But nobody was really too worried about that because there wouldn't be that much point in convicting them anyway, and they weren't likely to do this again. Interestingly enough, a couple of other people who did essentially the same thing but did succeed in causing damage were found guilty by a similar jury. So I, I think it's probably the case that because they hadn't succeeded in causing any damage, the jury wasn't, wasn't about to uh, see them in prison for that. But... Uh, but it is an open question. I mean, there have been abuses of nullification. As I said, um, like any principle of law, there are, way, there are times when it will be abused. And uh, I normally talk about that some, at some greater length. And I talk about that at length in the book. You know, there's a problem of racist juries, that that can also happen, has happened, especially in the U.S. <clears throat> and uh, I talk about that as a, as, a, as a danger, but not sufficient reason to suppress nullification. Uh, I'm Trevor Page, and thanks very much for your presentation. Uh, We were talking a little bit at our table about um, what are the rules in Canada, and I should perhaps say that I'm a new Canadian and I'm not familiar with all the laws. Um, What are the rules in Canada with regard to 
and accused being able to choose between trial by judge or jury? Well, it, it, I think it differs a bit in provinces, but it... Uh, I can't hear, sorry. It, it differs, I think, from province to province a little bit. But essentially, uh, my understanding, the, the Constitution, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, guarantees a jury trial for anything with a penalty of more than five years. But in practice, <clears throat> it seems to be, uh, if it's more than 18 months, they seem to uh, have the right of a jury trial. The pe uh, potential penalty is greater than 18 months, then they have a right to a jury trial. That seems to be what happens in practice. So the Charter of Rights gives you the right to choose? It gives you the right to choose if the penalty, potential penalty is more than five years, but in practice it's usually less than I that. see. Okay, thank you. Okay. But, but, well, if I'm still here, um, you say it varies from province to province? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Well, the practice, but the Charter of Rights sort of spells out... Char Charter of Rights guarantees a trial for, as I say, five years or more, but in practice there are, it's, it's usually much less than that where you have a right. But, but I should say that jury trials are becoming increasingly rare because they're expensive, and the courts don't like to support them, and they try to have you know, summary judgments and so on where they can or just judicial decisions where they can. And uh, it's, sort of, it, it's sort of becoming a very small part of the legal system, which I'm concerned about, because it's not a big step then to just abolishing them altogether. Well, I understand what yeah. you're saying, but I don't feel reassured. Okay. <laughs> I'm Mark Gettle. Mark. I understand that during jury uh, selection, the, uh, both lawyers have uh, interviewed <coughs> the juries, uh, the prospective jurors. Would it be possible for the uh, prosecuting uh, lawyer to ask, to simply ask the prospective juror, do you have any knowledge of uh, yeah. jury nullification? If the person says yes, then they just dismiss them as a potential juror. Well, yeah, that happens in the U.S. all the time. Um, it can't happen in Canada because you're not allowed to ask, like in the U.S. you can ask a whole range of questions. In Canada, you basically can see the person and know what their occupation is. And only by special dispensation can you ask any further questions. So it's usually not, not so usually, so if you do uh, get college jury duty, you're likely to be able, even though you know about notification, you're likely to get away with it, unless you carry my book around, in which case they'll know. <laughs> Gerald Wobick, I really enjoyed your speech, but I have a question that I have read about, and that is juries have to be unanimous, I believe. Yes. But there is, according to the article I read, some agitation for majority. If one person in the jury's says he's guilty and the other says not guilty, that the 11 would carry it and would decide the verdict. Do you have any opinion about that? Well, it makes me uneasy. I would like to prefer to see it remain as a majority. Um, I mean, if, it, if there was one person that, that refuses to agree with the others and it's a hung jury, then there's a possibility of a second, likelihood of a second trial. So you'd have to have that thing repeated over and over again to have it uh, actually uh, make the jury non-functional, you know, you have a ch chance of appealing it, and, or, 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 the, or the case being dismissed or um, on base of hung jury, and then a new trial would likely be called. So I don't see it as a huge problem, but the fact that, you know, the one recalcitrant juror who hang, hangs the thing up. <clears throat> yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't support changing the rule myself. Bev Mundell Atherstone, thank you very much for your talk. I'm quite curious how um, what you know now could be applied to the Omar Cotter case, uh, in particular if it were tried in Canada and we could have jury nullification. So do you think that... Um, 
So I'm, I can't remember what that case is. Omar Cotter. Oh, oh Cotter, Cotter, Cotter. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, one would expect it to be a lot of sympathy on the part of the jury, but uh, it's uh, one doesn't know. I'm just wondering if you know if that case were to come to trial. I know, I know that they don't want it to come to trial. But it seems that in a case like that, where you have a child soldier, that yeah. that that would be a perfect instance for jury. jury it could could well be. I mean, I think I think there's a lot of sympathy for him amongst. I think there. I think I've seen surveys where there's a majority of people sympathizing with his position. So he well could have a jury which refused to convict. Although in that case, you have to prove that he was guilty in the first place, which would be a first issue. I mean, if if uh, there has to be a person for nullification to take place, the person has to be obviously guilty, and then the jury refuses to find him guilty. In this case, I don't know who would be obviously guilty if they could prove guilt. You know, well, he's found guilty in the U.S. Yeah, but in Canada, would it likely be? In Canada, there's been no trial. No. Mary Shillington, thank you for your talk. Uh, uh, a number of us at the table had not known about this mm. uh, uh, jury notification, mm -hmm. and so you've increased, as you said, increased the number of people who now know about it. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm surprised, and maybe I didn't hear you say one way or the other, but has the, the aside that the judge made about it being a secret, uh, that you could not tell about uh, the, uh, the jury, that they had... The right. rights to uh, to uh, not uh, not come in on it with a guilty or non guilty plea um, has that been challenged in the Supreme Court? It hasn't been and challenged. If, if, <clears throat> if not, why not? Well, it's very awkward because you know the court of last appeal is the Supreme Court, and this is their statement. So it's not clear how this could how, how this could be legally challenged. If a if a brave lawyer took it upon herself to defy that edict that came from the Supreme Court. It's not clear what would happen. I suspect the judge would call a mistrial because the, uh, an edict like that from the Supreme Court is taken pretty well as binding, although it's not absolutely binding. So it's possible that a brave lawyer could try it, try it on, and maybe have an appeal, or may maybe uh, there'd be some proceedings that would allow the thing to be challenged. It's just not clear how it can happen. Because you know, usually you go to the Supreme Court for a final appeal, and that's, this is their ruling. Oh, okay. I hadn't, I hadn't connected that quite as well. So if they wouldn't do it, how do we get rid of that? Um, well, it could be le legislated, like it happened in New Hampshire. I don't think current government is likely to do that. No. Um, but it and could be at some point. certainly not our RMP. He's not going to... It, uh -huh. it could be legislated, as happened in New Hampshire, you know, that, that where it's now a right of a defense lawyer to make this, make this appeal for nullification. But or it could be... Oh, but it really needs to be a, a national kind of thing oh, yeah. because because if even if we changed it in Alberta, uh, then people could co take it up to a further appeal court, and it could could uh, you yeah. know what would happen? It was a Supreme Court judgment, so it's a yeah. Canadian judgment, and it applies yeah. to all all lawyers in Canada. Mm -hmm. And none of them, so far to my knowledge, have taken up dared to challenge it. Like Brayford, Latimer's lawyer, really wanted to bring up the matter of nullification, wanted the jury to know more about that, but, and it was, you argued with the judge, 
the whole it was an undercurrent all through the trial of him trying to get more information that, about this to the jury and the judge blocking it at all as they as they as judges do blocking it at every opportunity based on the Supreme Court judgment. Mm -hmm. I had another question, but then it left me. Uh, <laughs> that happens at this age. Um, oh, I'll sit down. Maybe I'll come. You know how you go downstairs and yeah. forget what it is and then you come back. I was interested, <laughs> interested in what you said first about uh, the people at the table didn't know about nullification. My, uh, my experience has been most people just don't know about it at all. And I've even talked to some lawyers and even a prosecutor who knew very little about it. Probably had heard the term, but really didn't even know what it meant. So it's uh, something that needs further public airing. And uh, how many people here had known much about it before? Are there anybody? How many had really had known anything much about nullification before before this? Anybody who had known much about it? Just when Wild Bev is getting up to the mic, uh, it's been a long tradition for SACPA to recognize the uh, candidates during election periods. So I'd like to uh, recognize uh, one person that's running for council. Uh, Blaine Hicken is in the back. Uh, my name is Bev Trainer. Uh, I have known about our right to be able to uh, have the jury make the final decision if we have a jury, because we have the right to choose judge or jury in the cases uh, that are longer or expected to be a longer sentence. Uh, back to piggybacking on what Mary's talking about, because judges are appointed by the federal government. Is that correct? Yeah. <clears throat> then it would be up to the federal government, I would think, is this correct? I mean, just help me out here, to inform judges that they don't have the authority to be uh, putting that information out to the lawyers that they aren't to notify the jury. I mean, it seems to me that's where the, where the issue should come from. Well, it, it is, in effect, Canadian law now because the Supreme Court de decreed it to be so at, in that Morgenthau judgment. So it is known. A lawyer can't plead that I didn't know that it was, you know, they, they, they so that is the they're, they're, basic, they're basically abusing their privilege as a judge. Uh, my view, yeah, you would say that, yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to be black and white here. It sounds <laughs> like it's a little gray, <laughs> but thank you. Thank you. My name is Barbara Warren. I'm not confused about that. But what I'm confused about is the fact that I think I heard you say that the Supreme Court makes the law. Supreme Court made this rule, yeah. A rule, but not a law. Well, it, some, when the Supreme Court makes, makes a decision like this, it's, it's called obiter dictum. It's, it's, a, it's a side. It's not part of the major judgment. When they make such a statement like this, reflecting their views, strong views about something, it's generally held as binding, as, as an effective law, although there's some dispute about that. And it could be, uh, it, it's possible to be, could be challenged, but it's pretty well accepted that if a Supreme Court justice makes a statement like that, it's binding on future trials. Okay, because the Supreme Court ruled that abortion was all right, but we have no laws guiding That's us right, yeah. on what abortion can or cannot do. And that has to be the government, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Thank you. Yeah. No, I'm not confused. <laughs> Mary. Robert Smith. Uh, just a quick one. Does a juror have to be a property owner? Something's not working. Does a juror have to be a property owner? Um, you know, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. But um, I'm just wondering what the origin <coughs> origin of it was. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I can forget how they're selected. How the pool is selected? Does anybody know that? How jury pool is selected? You know, back there. Can you tell us? <laughs> Vaughn just got a new hip recently, so it's very well that he can come up here. That's awesome. City councilor, and I tell oh, yeah. the gentleman back there he shouldn't have done it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I sat as a member of the Alberta Court of Queen's Bench for 21 years. Did you? I have conducted perhaps three or four dozen jury trials. They're very uncommon. A uh, lawyer with any common sense would, generally speaking, say if my guy is likely going to be guilty, I might as well run in front of a jury. Uh, otherwise, I'll rely on a judge because they understand the rules with regard to. Mm -hmm. uh, reasonable doubt. In answer to the specific question, the uh, Jury Act of the province of Alberta indicates uh, who may be jurors, and all kinds of people can, but you certainly don't have to be a landowner, you have to be a citizen, um, and over the age of 21, I think now, um, can't be a lawyer, can't be a firefighter, can't be certain people who are involved in important things in the community. So that's the answer to that. Now that I'm here, I'm also compelled to observe that as a judge, if my court of appeal pronounced something that was, as you say, obiter dicta, um, I would pay attention to it, but I wouldn't necessarily follow it, particularly if I thought they were wrong. Uh, courts of appeal can be wrong, as judges can be. So th that's one thing. And I guess the other thing that I would have to say is that I have always told juries that after they've listened to the evidence, after they've reviewed it with one another, it's, a jury charge is a very difficult thing to put together because you can stump them and you can be stumped yourself. So I would say to them, you've heard the evidence, I'll review it with you, although I tried to avoid that because I didn't want my bias to reflect on them. And I would say, after you've heard the evidence, after you've talked together, after you've thought about it, you're entitled to do as you wish, but based on the evidence. Mm -hmm. And I tell them they need not worry about being questioned, that their, their deliberations are secret, and that if they mm -hmm. speak out of the court, they're um, uh, likely to be charged. But the process here is, has took me... 40 years to sort of learn the whole thing and you can't say it in 40 minutes in, in this wonderful gathering here but <clears throat> well I could go on there's a couple of other things that concern me 
Uh, if you're charged with something, you will, the prosecution is entitled to charge you based on the evidence that they have, either as an indictable offense or as a summary conviction offense. The criminal code sets all that out. The criminal code says who may be charged so that they can have a jury. And, you know, if you get picked up for jaywalking, no juries. In the States, in some cases, if you got picked up for jaywalking, you would have a jury, not here. And so it has to be a serious charge. And then you have a choice. The, the defendant has a choice whether to be tried by a judge and jury or a judge alone. And that choice once made is the defense choice to make. So uh, that's how that happens. There's so many rules in it. But that, it's mostly in the cases. I've taken up too much time. Oh. Well, it's interesting to hear your point of view. On, on this uh, obiter dicta, on this aside by a jury, I did quite a lot of research into this. And uh, what I what I found was that it's viewed, if it's a Supreme Court justice who's making such a statement, and particularly in this case it was the Chief Justice, uh, that it's pretty well, it's viewed as pretty well binding, although not absolutely so, but most lawyers would take it as binding and have so, have so far, like Brayford, uh, Latimer's lawyer took it as binding. Well, I, I'd have to look at, the, at all of the surrounding things, but again, I never got in trouble for not taking it binding in any event. And um, sometimes the obiter is overturned by a, a similar court. Yeah, this all was the, not, though. All the Supreme Courts yeah. it, it, across the provinces listen to one another, but don't have to. Uh, it, another word that's a very famous or stare decisis that you have to follow the decisions of others, but they are decisions, not obiter. Obiter is an opinion, is a view, is a reflection. Yeah. on what has happened, and if the Supreme Court makes uh, overture dictum, I would sure pay very, very close attention. Yeah. But per, say in this particular case, uh, if I was uh, courageous, I may seem nuts. I'm not... Yeah, well, nobody's, I, I hope somebody would do that sometime, but nobody has so far, you know. Um, and Braver's lawyer in particular, he, I mean, he pleaded with the judge to try to make it somehow more clear that the, ju the jury had options like that. But, uh, I wouldn't give them the clear option. I'd say it's up to you to decide mm -hmm. on, the, on the basis here. Uh, I'll only refer to one case, fairly well known in the community. I won't say it by name necessarily, but there was a, an incident at the police station in Pinter Creek some years ago. And um, I conducted the first of three jury trials on that. The first two were hung juries. I have no idea what the numbers were, um, no. but that they couldn't come to a conclusion. Mm -hmm. So after they sat for three or four days, um, the judge's job is to bring them back and to be very careful in urging them to come to a decision. Mm -hmm. But you can't say, for example, it's going to cost a lot of money if you can't make this and we have right. to do it again. <laughs> you can't say that. But you can say, and what I would say almost precisely is, the 12 of you have been sitting here for four days. Um, you have heard as much as there is to be heard on this particular case and I would hope that you could go back and reflect on that and that you could come to some conclusion because nobody's going to be in a better position than you are right now uh, to do it into the future. Well, they didn't listen and the second jury didn't listen and the third jury convicted and that caused a great deal of trouble because the judge there had strong views and passed a sentence that was, in a general sense, uh, like the, the uh, well, it was a little on the low side. Uh, it, that went on to the Court of Appeal. don't remember whether it went to the Supreme Court of Canada. So 
it's a complicated process, and, and with the greatest respect to yourself, sir, and to others, uh, you can't uh, deal with this in the space of 20 or 40 minutes. It's, it's, it's a big, long subject. There's a book you can buy on it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I apologize for taking up so much of your time. But uh, I, I was sitting back there with my friend, uh, Blaine Thacker, who um, was, you can blame him, he was much responsible for my appointment. And uh, I would also say that uh, those who know me knew that at that time uh, I was a card-carrying uh, liberal. And uh, Kim Campbell, the conservative justice oh, yeah. minister, appointed me. So uh, they do that. They, they try and pick people off a list that they consider to be uh, sort of appropriate. And they don't pay a lot of attention. At least they didn't in those days that they made out to politics. Thank you. Thank you for the minister of your experience. Thank you, Ron. There, there's no shame in being a liberal. For anyone who related to Vaughn Hembroff, there's a good chance that Vaughn will be coming to SACPA in January to speak a little bit about justice. But he will only have 30 minutes to do it. <laughs> Nuda, am I allowed another question? Uh, Mary Shillington. Um, you talked a lot about discriminatory uh, uh, practices that uh, happen because this this is a secret. It, I, I, because I'm uninformed, I'm not even sure uh, what happens if if a person is found guilty and there's an appeal. Who ends up uh, paying for all the expenses of that? Say, if I'm a, a social a social assistance uh, person who has no money, who would yeah. pay for for the lawyer and so on for appeals and so on? Because otherwise. You know, even though uh, the, it may seem fair, but it may not be fair if they can't yeah, do an appeal. You, you have to pay for your defense. I, I, I learned this when I was covering the trial of Evelyn Martin, who was prosecuted for uh, two counts of assisted suicide and found not guilty. But she had $250,000 in expenses to cover her trial. Now, in her case and in Latimer's case, most of the expenses were covered by donations. Latimer got an enormous number of donations. He got Somebody uh, sent him a... Christmas card every Christmas with a thousand dollars in it anonymously. For years he got that, but he got he. I think he raised four four hundred thousand dollars or something. He didn't he didn't go out trying to raise it, but people just gave him the money. Mm. Felt sympathetic. But you were. It's always struck me as an odd, a bad thing about the law, is that uh, you can be charged with a crime, found not guilty, but you still have to pay the costs. Yeah. Yeah. We have time for one really quick question. If anyone is still. Chomping at the bits. If not, uh, join me in thanking Gary for very interesting. Uh, next week, uh, we're dealing with uh, dignity to die. Dignity, dignity uh, concerning. Dying in a situation where you're not in control anymore. Uh, that's almost a little bit related to what we spoke about today, I think. Or we could see some cases, and through the court system, they will deal with these very same issues. So please join us next week. <laughs>